0: Hey, everybody, it's time for episode number 208 of Shop Talk Show. We're going to get into it in just a second, but let me tell you about our sponsors at the top. One of them is Braintree. That's BraintreePayments.com slash Shop Talk. Developers around the world have embraced their V.0 Zero. SDK is the easiest way to add secure mobile payments to their apps and websites. Uh, You've heard about it before. It takes Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin uh, with one API. If some new kind of payment comes up, they'll support that too. It's used by tons of huge companies and a relatively new sponsor. Welcome to Shop Talk Show, Rollbar. That's rollbar.com slash Show. Which, if you go there, has a very generous free offer, a free offer on their bootstrap plan for 90 days. And it's all about error tracking and error monitoring on your website, which is pretty darn vital for any website. We'll tell you about more about both those things later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off. Booter dip, booter it. <laughs>
1: Hey there, Shopper Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. What kind of show is it, Dave? Rapid fire.
0: I was playing this game the other night. God, what was it called? You had to like pick a card, and you have to flip it away from yourself, and it has a color on it, or like a shape, and it has something like... Like a kind of candy on it or something, and then the next candy person land. flips it. Well, it's close. But like if it matches anybody else at the table, you had to look at their car and like say a type of candy, but you have to be like really fast. Your brain has to work fast. And sometimes some of the cards were like a sound that a gun makes or something. So it's kind of fun. You had to go pew. anyway. I can't remember the name of it, which makes this the worst anecdote ever. Which
1: means somebody's gonna
0: ride in and be like, I oh, hope gosh they do. it was
1: it was slap face. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you know? Uh, hey, Chris, what are we doing today? With wait, wait, no guests, no drama?
0: No. No guests, no drama, no news, I guess sometimes we say, although we hardly ever do any of those things anymore. So whatever. The point is we're going to get through just questions and we pick out ones that perhaps are well-suited to just Dave and I. So, Mr. Dave, maybe we'll just go back and forth, huh? Why don't yeah. you uh, – do we got one I'll out take here? one
1: here from Gregor Winter. How many Favicon versions should I provide for example I see Chris includes two on CSS tricks I love how every question like <laughs> looks at what you did on your blog and then uh, like as the source of truth that that's gonna be a lot of pressure Chris anyway but uh, then there are generators like real favicon generator.net uh, which creates 17 different versions what is the impact on performance when including all what is the current best practice Chris?
0: Um. Yeah. This is. I feel like this should almost come up more often than it does. But once in a while, it bubbles to the surface of like tech news. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. It's 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 complicated, and it, the reason I think it should be talked about more often, or I'm surprised it doesn't come up, is that every single on the website in the world needs a favicon of some kind, and then and it becomes more and more obvious that like just having that link rel favicon or whatever it is isn't enough for like. Uh, If they save it to their home screen on their iPhone and Windows Phone has its own special kind of Uh, Attribute that you need in the head. And uh, anyway, there's so many different types for so many different devices and situations and high-res screens and that type of thing. And is SVG supported or not? And there's all these like scenarios. And so the, the, uh, the thing that Gregor linked up here called Real Favicon Generator, it's like mantra of existence is, give me an image and here's an image that they've decided should be perfect. So 260 by 260, they've decided if you give them that, they can use that to make um, a perfect version of every single possible thing. And, and just go try it. It's incredible what you get out of it. It's this massive chunk of code of massive number of different versions of icons that are perfectly generated for that situation. And I think some people look at that output and they're like, <laughs> you got to be kidding me, right? It's like a ton of code. It's like you want you want this in the head of my document of every single page on my site. This is like more code than critical CSS is <laughs> almost. It seems it seems like a little intense and you know, so some people's opinion is, well, this is this is where we're at. This is where an, a non-agreement on this type of thing has led us or proprietary technologies has brought us back to. Uh, and some people look at that and be like, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to provide. I think I can get a pretty good coverage if I just use, like, these three. So I'll just use these three. Or there's people that just have no idea and just use just a favicon or whatever. So I, I don't know what to tell you. I feel like I'm in the camp of, like, I can't put this. It doesn't feel right to me to put this massive chunk in there. So I'm going to give what I think is a reasonable number of them and just roll with it.
1: Yeah, I I mean – there's there's also different kinds right there's there's favicon.ico which is the windows icon format right. um, and then there's png some browsers yeah. png safari wants you to use a SVG for its little pin tab thing. Like yeah, which is different
0: SVG. than a favicon, but that's the one where you actually pin the tab. Yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: And then there's now there's let's go through add to home screen. There's 17 different Apple devices you need to support. Um I, I'm like almost not kidding there, but um I you may be able to do like one now, but um and then Android was like, Oh yeah, us two. Let's we need add to home screens too uh but i think they have started moving things into a manifest dot json am i am i crazy to think
0: i that think happened? you are but that's another thing that's like that's kind of, oh, so the deal is okay so you have this big chunk of stuff in your head isn't isn't a lot of the head is aren't you aiming for that certain size of packet in which that like for example you're trying to if, if you're going the critical CSS route which seems I, I can't tell you if it seems more and more important it seems like more and more people are doing it I think uh, Google is is pressing it a lot because so many people rely on that Google page speed score and are like gunning to get that really high and that, in, and that critical CSS is factored into that so people are I think for that reason giving it a shot and all the data points to it being a good idea but you need then a very small head the less stuff that's in your head the more critical css you can fit and if you're you know if you have whatever 50 lines of favicon code that's cutting down on what what you can do there so the idea was the manifest is okay well don't put that stuff in your head just link up a manifest and the manifest will have kind of the rest of it in there right but it's an extra http request so how can that be a benefit
1: well but maybe it's as needed right like like on demand but I think a lot of people are pulling like Windows is starting to use that too because Windows wants its own sort of stuff to do like the add yeah. to start menu. They have a live tile, tile
0: color yeah. and a tile image. Yeah, which is an image and a, and and a then, color that you said. What
1: happens if somebody uh, – wants to post your site on a social media site. Well, now you need Open Graph tags. So ugh, once that's for totally separate
0: for from this, but yeah, that's like, a crazy mess too. And then caching comes into play there and stuff. And we even had a problem on CodePen recently where Open Graph somebody had like marked one of our profile images as dangerous or something, even though it was just an S3 hosted JPEG. And so it was ugh. like preventing the graphic from being posted on. Oh, on Facebook it was so ridiculous. Weird. But so th- Yeah.
1: It's just all this stuff that has to go in the head, just just to kind of be share, just to share your site. It's no man's land and there's no boss. There's no every, everyone's doing their own thing. So I, I mean, I in my, I just do like the the like thirty-two pixel and sixteen pixel ICO. That's sort of like my default. Is yeah, and
0: thirty-two is is cool because that oh, theoretically a browser should respect that in a in a high-res situation. I do notice it. You know, to be snobby or whatever on my on my 2x Retina display on my laptop. If, oh, if my the site has only $6, done a six 16- thousand
1: dollar computer, does it? Yeah. Know, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> but you know, and for a long time, this this one really got me is that I had a tab open for Gmail, and then I had a tab open for like Gmail for your domain or whatever, which I think are kind of two separate Google projects, and one of them had a high res little envelope icon, and one of them didn't, and I was like, oh my god, I'm done. This is killing me. Just, Even though I'm not crap. that OCD about stuff like that. Just the discrepancy of two tabs right next to each other that are essentially the same exact website having different ones. But but then the question comes up is like, what happens if... So I'm literally looking at this output. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different sizes for the Apple touch icon. Okay, fine. You know, maybe that... (laughs) <laughs> it's a little weird, but okay. What happens if you only provide, say, the one hundred and forty-four by one hundred and forty-four version of it? But the perfect one for that Apple device is sixty by sixty. Does can Apple just not deal with it? Does it just abort, or does it deal with the one hundred and forty-four down in, in some way? And then is it like, is it just a question of well, it downloaded too much data than it needed, or whatever? Like can you do you need to provide nine different apple sizes is that really practical?
1: I I want to say that updated but I cannot f- figure out who wrote about it. I thought it was like M- Matthias Bynes. is that right? Is that the person's name? Mm-hmm. Um uh or or oh, man but um mm-hmm.
0: the person who wrote real favicon generator did a CSS tricks article as well and, and talked about it. But I I don't know that it got into the nudgy fallbacks of, of what you, what you can omit a little bit, but it should be said that on this site, you can kind of, I think you can kind of customize a little bit, you know, and and, and certainly you could, you could delete lines of code yourself.
1: Well, it's just, it's just interesting that it's, you know, native (laughs) apparently can't resize an image on the fly. But <laughs> just like websites, um, but uh, you know, yeah, Apple's page is still recommending like um a, a whole bunch. Um,
0: uh, I don't know. So d- does it impact for so? And then Gregor Winter's final question is: Does it impact their performance if you do include them all? Well, it impl- it affects performance at least in the fact that there's a ton of stuff in your head now. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that it's that bad because i think there's so many of these meta tags on any given uh device will be ignored if it's not useful you know like like chrome doesn't care about your windows tile color thing i mean it has to it has to look at that tag but it will discard it in a in a in a split second and uh, ignore that kind of data you know so i doubt i doubt it's that big of a deal it is just it's a it's it's the wild west though and if you ever are in a moment where you're like God, what were the browser wars like? <laughs> In a sense, you can you can look at this and be like, oh wow! So this is what it takes to have a, an icon for my website now. Wow! No, and one. I do, I think Real favicon generator does a good job. I mean, if you want if you want full coverage of everything, look at the output that you get from that website. I think it does a compelling job of giving you the data, and then you can pick and choose from there.
1: You know, can I be told? Can I blow some mind? muscles here, can blow some minds here. You actually don't need to link it up. You just need to have it in your like root directory with the right names.
0: Oh, that's yet another complication to this, right? If it's just there, the device will know to look for it. So it doesn't need to be a meta tag. But I wonder how much, how much you get from that because you you if it's just there does it have to be named like dash 5757 or something is it that fine grained or does it look for one that's just called apple touch icon or and i know we're just talking about the apple thing this may work on the android side as well
1: um i i think it has to be named like apple icon dash compose dash 57 x57 so let me let me i just did it for day trip so i'm gonna pull up day trips here and figure out what i kind of did and i that was like the That's most kind of a recent big deal
0: because it's it- – cleans up the HTML a bunch and if it works the exact same way wow well. well,
1: and it's kind of just like a, a favicon too right like that's just default so okay yeah apple t- apple-touch-icon.png apple-touch-icon-57x57-precompose.png apple-touch-icon-7676 Precomposed, apple-touch-icon-120 Precomposed, apple-touch-icon-152-152 Precomposed, apple-touch-icon-180-180 precompose Apple touch icon precomposed, uh,
0: sure, and then favicon, and, and did then you test touch it as icon, well? did you Did you have devices available to see if they if it works properly?
1: This this is just for Apple, and yes, I've like installed it to home screen mm-hmm. a few times.
0: Um, cool, but you don't you and you don't throw the meta tags. They're not
1: I in. don't. I yeah. it was like, what hmm. meta tags did I did because I just did this, you know. But I don't have any meta tags, and I love it.
0: That's great. Well, that seems like a big deal. That seems like that should be more of the de facto advice then is to make sure that they're there and not put them in there. Why make the browser look? if it, Unless well, there's some evidence of having it not – it's going to fire what? a Like a little well,
1: – uh, A ping. Probe. Like a uh, it's going to yeah. hit your server and have a failed request basically.
0: HTTP probe initiated. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Searching for – the must be but it may only do that when you add to home screen too and maybe it doesn't care until you're adding
0: to home screen well if it was smart uh, it would that seems reasonable
1: uh but yeah so here we are uh that's it's uh, i it's interesting i think like a good post i'm, I'm like <laughs> look, look, like i think like, it would
0: be 6000 words it practically needs to be a mini book on the subject
1: yeah i'm like like i think it would be a good css tricks blog post like all the stuff that goes in the head you know like you're i'm looking i have like csrf tokens i have you know uh you know google site verification i have my uh you know rel equals preload stuff now i'm using that on my blog i just rolled that out uh Mm -hmm. i'm using uh you know meta viewports meta car set html lang in us i all this, your style sheet, your critical CSS, your mm-hmm. open graphs, and everything. Ugh, there's so Isn't much. Isn't it like
0: sometimes I look at this and I'm like, I'm like a little bummed out that this is the same language that we're supposed to put our content in. This is where, you know, like this is where actual content also lives your h1 tags and your p tags right. and your and and everything that's supposed to like matter on a document. It's like I, always, I was like I almost wish that that once you got through all this crap then there was one more little tag that says, "Oh yeah, by the way, my content, my contents in 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 like content.markdown or whatever." So they feel <laughs> separated cuz this this language of html like on a modern day website is just full of craziness. You know, I look at mine and now it's full of like SVG sprites and there's scripts and styles everywhere, little chunks of it here and there, and all of it is like up to modern standards of how it should be. Uh, and there's analytic stuff in there, but you know, the content is
1: just oh, it's just sprinkled in there here. Oh, and there. it's somewhere there. You'll yes. find, it'll render eventually.
0: You'll find it. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck web search bots. It Ajaxes is in. <laughs>
1: so 100 script tags have to load before it comes. So
0: Uh, it'll come there then. Yeah, it's Uh, good. Forrest Brown writes in, (laughs) I have a question on website versioning. Let's say you have V1 of a site. It's under source control and you want to rewrite that entire site. Would you create a new repo for the rewrite or somehow tag the current site as V1 and add the new tiles for V2 or whatever? So let's say you're like redesigning or whatever and you're going to do a major rewrite. Day trip 2.0. Like, what's your it would be it it'd probably be deleting a branch, everything, wouldn't it? It would be a branch.
1: Um unless well, unless I'm like well, I it still should be a branch. Like like you have a V2 branch. Um, kind
0: of. Oh, I mean, unless you're like, what if you're like moving from Rails to like a React Phoenix or flux something situation? Elixir. Yeah, like there's like almost no files are going to be the same. So why is it even a branch? You know?
1: Yeah. No. If it was a total like like separate tech stack, that's where I was going in my head. I would probably do something different. Like this is where this is a whole new architecture we are flipping a switch like old site will die there they share nothing more or less other than like the name of the website then i would probably do a whole new repo um uh but that's not easy (laughs) i mean but yeah i don't know i mean it's also not easy to like develop something you know let's say you're v1 and v2 are coexisting in the same repo and somebody is actively working on v1 it doesn't sound like that's force situation but let's say somebody's actively working on v1 now you v2 has to kind of keep up with all the changes that are happening in v1 for for compatibility so you're going to have to do a lot of like rebase merges and all this stuff and um, so that's something to be.
0: Now, up. if it's just a redesign and you're staying on the same framework, I think that's pretty clearly you should just branch it. And even if it ends up being a pretty monster merge at some point, that's fine. Git mm-hmm. can handle that. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah. I th- I'm I'm thinking of like major redesigns and major rewrites on on version control that I've done. And yeah, I mean, it's I, I was. I'm thinking specifically about the Microsoft redesign we did in like 2012. I mean, what, what
0: was it a branch?
1: It was a branch, you know, and and or and there were you know, t- ten years worth of commits under there, you know, like. <laughs> and so
0: and I think. So it's, did you? Was it a branch that was super divergent from master, or did you continually pull? I mean, we have a feature right now. I'd say that occasionally there's like a six month feature on CodePen. And the longer it goes, the more worried we all get about the the master conversion. But in order to prevent that, you just merge from master like almost every day down to the branch to make sure that there's no conflicts. If you do that, the day that comes where you have to push it back up to master, the cleaner it's going to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, it's – it'll like just be its I, – I think like there's – some people who break things out into microservices, so like new features, kind of its own little... Yeah, it has uh, a different
0: name. Like if you're going to change the crap out of a controller, merging down from master, is it uh, uh, probably going to happen, you know? Because it's like the, these two controllers on these two branches are 100% different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't really grab that one from master because it's going to tell me it's uh, a merge problem every single time I try to do that. So you might be like, oh, this is like... Controller two, <laughs> you would never <laughs> call it that, but you might, yeah, yeah, it's
1: users different, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that RB.
1: Um, yeah, I think I so. what? What's our answer for forest? I would say if it's just a little redesign,
0: you're I in branch territory, forest branches, it. guarantee it. it's not a tag, tags are. I don't even really understand Git tags, but it's just, that's kind of like a way to like, isn't it like draw a line in the sand to be like this, this thing at this moment is this tag. And then you can always like download the repo in that state or whatever. Yeah.
1: It's a a bookmark for, for
0: a commit. Basically, so it's, your- it's great for public software more so. Like, we don't tag anything at CodePen because nobody cares. I mean, maybe there's some reason to do that, but, uh, but like, for example, we use CodeMirror on CodePen and CodeMirror tags their stuff, and it's very useful because this is version 3.1.8 or whatever it is, and that makes it very easy to download just that version.
1: Yeah, and, and you have, you know, that factors into NPM and all these, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. source con or package manager things. So I think if it's public, you need versions like that. Semvar versioning.
0: Which is what tagging is all about. Okay. What do we got next, Dave?
1: Grant Vincent writes in, how do you guys go about coming up with an idea for a talk that would be accepted at a conference? I would love to speak to people, but I'm having a hard time figuring out what would be a good topic to pitch on. I'm afraid I am just reinterpreting previous ideas talks.
0: I get that about go. blogging, too, that people are so afraid to blog because they just feel like, well, I don't know, everybody either already knows this or somebody's already covered it or I'm just saying a bunch of stuff that's already been said, uh, which I find almost never to be true. And I find even when people think that they're doing that. They're not or they have their own take on it in some way and who cares even if it is very similar to something somebody else already said. A lot of times people like that to be corroborated and to, and, then, and and then it's not like anybody's working on your exact website with you so you could show us demos and examples from the website you actually built which is really important. It's one of those things where like just because somebody else has ever given a talk that's on a similar topic that what you want to talk about is not mean, unless you're just being like, let's look at the spec line by line together or something. It's, I think talks end up more being like your experience with a certain technology. And when you have that, nobody can replicate what you're about to say. So rock and roll. I'm sure you have some thoughts.
1: Um, yeah, I like, I like it when talks are on something, you know, like, like, um, I, uh, Leah Verrou is probably a really good example of, of somebody who just like, I'm going to learn this one thing so well, and I will tell you about it in in great detail and it'll be entertaining and educational. I, I that's I mean I think those talks are are always kind of these like wow, okay, they know this thing. Um this person knows this thing really well. And that's what I try to do. A lot of the talks I I end up doing are are kind of like hey, uh do you want could you talk about this and I'm like sure, why not? Or or <laughs> yeah, I've done the like I'm just going to say I'm going to talk about I don't know <laughs> WebKit animations, this was in 2010 or something, and I oh boy, did I have to learn it on the fly, I was learning it the day of you know, <laughs> or as up late sure. the night before really learning it um, so I think that's sort of the um, I, I think you, getting yourself into trouble too is like, you know, maybe you're just like, I'm gonna do a React talk next month, I don't know let's go uh, so, uh, yeah, so for, for like getting started and doing stuff I think that's the best thing and if it's something you've already kind of heard and you're kind of recycling too that's fine too like people have to hear things like 10 times or something before it sinks in so I think you know you're you're part of the journey for the people <laughs> uh, then there's also or, uh, I I we Chris and I occasionally speak at like an event apart or this other another conference or something that's similar um, and you I don't know if you've noticed this, Chris, but, but you'll go through the conference, and there's really only been five things talked about. you know, last year it was like pattern libraries, performance and SVG. We're kind of like the, the, the main like three topics all year. Um, so people are, are, are already talking about the same thing over and over. Um, that, said, uh, that said, I'm now. That's yeah, comment already like talks that i'm doing are i'm trying to do something i am interested in and i really want to kind of uh talk about um i'm doing a lot of prototyping and stuff for my job and my work day to day um so my talks are kind of about prototyping in the workplace for business profit so (laughs) so that's what i'm in into talking about
0: here's a here's a big concept I feel like it's almost sound effect worthy but I don't I don't know what okay which one is ready. ready but like a you know a, here's a concept didn't we do that in the last episode it's concept time there now I made have been a code pen radio anyway <laughs> is that good why would you just launch right into a bigger thing when you could start with a smaller thing? And I think Ethan Marcotte once kind of said this, and it lodged into my brain. It was like, oh, I'm thinking about doing a new book, and then he's kind of like, well, do you have like an article already out that's about the topic of that book? So I think that was his experience that worked really well. Is that this that his you know responsive web design started as this article that got a bunch of traction and and thinking behind it. And he's like, hmm, maybe I should turn that article into like a talk. So then he went and gave some talks about it. Uh, And then the talks is like, okay, well, I have a lot of thinking and a lot like long term kind of, you know, evidence and other people saying stuff and stuff. Maybe I'll turn that into a book. So it ended up being in this logical progression that I think anybody in tech could follow. Meaning, if you have this idea, maybe it should start out as a blog post. Maybe it should start out as a tweet and see how the tweet goes. Then turn it into a blog post. Then turn it into a talk. Then turn it into a book. You know, once you have some, I just think like the stakes are lower and you can kind of gather some momentum along the way if you do that. So if you're thinking, I should do a talk Maybe you should write the blog post first. Start, you know, have the research fuel the blog post, feel it out, and see how you feel with it after the blog post is out. Then, if you're if you're into it still, you're like, yeah, this is this is perfect for a talk. Don't think, oh, it's already a blog post. It doesn't need to be a talk. No, the, the blog post was just your was just your research for the talk, just the beginnings of it. Now, be like, okay, well, I have some research now. Let me start. How would I explain this with slides and with my voice? And that becomes a new thing.
1: Evolve I, a concept. I really like that. I I would love to <laughs> to go into a talk and just be like, yes, I like I've written about this already. So I, I'm just talking. I'm like reading a blog post in mm-hmm. person with my hands. Um, I, that seems yeah. I think that's that's the best way to do it. I've done that with like performance talks. I just I kind of just did my RWD bloat posts over and over and over, just talking about kind of like. This is what I this is what it is you know um, so yeah I, I think uh, I think you can do it uh, you can you can uh, I, I think you can come up with something you're interested in you know whether it's web animations or how you made your site faster people always want to hear this stuff and and see case studies too so good luck I guess is what I would say
0: Chris. Yeah, um, let's do a sponsor. Thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring uh, uh, this episode of Shop Talk Show. Uh, it's 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 based on this concept that dealing with errors kind of sucks. You know, like let's say a user is using your error and they perform some kind of action and get some kind of like 500 error or something. One, do you even know about it? Like, how are you tracking that error? Are you just like? I don't know, having it emailed to you or something. Do you just have nothing happening at all? A tool like Rollbar is something that you integrate and then that error gets sent to Rollbar and it goes to their like really nicely put together uh, dashboard where you can be like, oh, shoot, this user had this problem in this situation and here's the stack trace and all that stuff. And and oh my God, it happened to 400 people. I need to deal with this right now. There's something that's that's happening here. And it, oh, and it happened at this time and... Um,
1: Chris, are you saying if my signup form broke, I could learn about that before?
0: <laughs> you could. You oh, could. wow. You need to know about your errors that are happening in production, period. It's just like, you can't just let all your errors just go into the ether and be like, oh, somebody will email me about it probably if that's a problem. No, that's, that's not the case. You integrate Rollbar and you have a dashboard for all the errors that are happening and the frequency and when, and that type of thing. So, uh, it's good, and your whole team gets invited. You can talk about the bugs, and you know the goal being to kind of clear this area out, try to, try to deal with the errors that are incoming. So uh, that's, and you don't want to be digging through logs. You don't want to be waiting for your users to report these things. Rollbar also works with all these. Uh, you know, will it work in your Rails app? Yes, it will work in. It works with all major languages and frameworks. Uh, start tracking in eight minutes, they say. So it's, it's like not a particularly difficult thing to get in your app, it's just something that you gotta do. So uh, you can send, let's say you have a really particularly bad one or you wanna send your errors to HipChat or Slack or have it automatically create an issue on Jira or GitHub. Uh, it, that kind of thing happens. So Heroku uses this, Twilio uses it, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch—they use Rollbar in their apps to track errors. So this is a legit thing. They're very, very, very generous, and that Rollbar.com/shop talk show gets you their bootstrap plan uh, for 90 days. That's 300,000 errors tracked for free. So you can check it out, see if it's useful for your your app, which it is. So enjoy. <laughs> Let's see what do we got, Dave.
1: Uh, Irina Blumenfeld writes in, uh, uh, my question is about your shop section of CSS Tricks. Again, digging into the CSS Tricks code base. uh, I tested the page speed of it on webpagetest.org. Here's the waterfall chart and here's a WPT, uh, uh, URL, uh, you use WooCommerce, uh, on the waterfall chart, you can see the order of how resources load for your shop section of the site. All the images load first before any of the WooCommerce JS files. Is there a setting or plugin you use on my site? WooCommerce JS and CSS load first above everything and therefore block rendering. Uh, also, WooCommerce files don't load at all on your homepage. Only your shop pages. Is there a plugin or setting to load it only on the shop section? This is kind of a perf thing, huh, Chris? How how it are you doing? It kind of is,
0: that? yeah. And I, you know, so I use WooCommerce, and we, it's even it relates to Shop Talk Show because the merch for Shop Talk Show gets sold through the CSS Trick store. We just kind of merged all those together. Uh, which is always a good time to mention the store. But, you know, I think if you go to shoptalkshow.com slash store or shop or whatever, you get redirected to the CSS Tricks 1 now to just show you the the Shop Talk merchandise, of which we sell... I think we only sell two things. We sell the unisex shirt, and then we specifically have a ladies' tee. I don't know if you all knew that, but you know, I feel like conferences get slammed for that all the time. They they give away the the unisex tee, but it's not really uh, doesn't really fit the ladies very well. We sell a ladies' shirt. We have a ladies' shirt for CodePen as well. So uh, feel free to check that out there, female listeners. Um, anyway, hey, yeah, I'm wearing a CodePen shirt right
1: now. Brand synergy. How are wow. we making this fast?
0: They're better than they used to be too. If you bought one a long time ago, we had this like really faded design, which was kind of cool, but you could almost barely tell it was a Shop Talk show shirt. We like juiced up the ink a little bit. So that and, and it's on a nicer shirt. So the recent ones are a lot better. Anyway, you, I sell it through WordPress because I just have the plugin WooCommerce installed and it works pretty darn well, I think. But it's a it's it's heavy-handed in the sense that it loads a lot of its own CSS and JavaScript to do its thing. And at first I was like, I'm going to fight against this a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like DQ a bunch of these scripts and load them up in my own kind of build process and remove some of the." And eventually I just got to be like, oh, there's not enough hours in the day. I think I'm just going to kind of uh, do the bare minimum here a bit. And so I, I wrapped a little bit of logic around... Uh, some of the in uh, uh, the queuing of scripts, and, and I just in like my functions.php file, I'd be like, just only load this if you're on an e-commerce a WooCommerce page. So if you're at the shop page, then load up the scripts you need. And if you don't do that, unfortunately, WooCommerce loads up all the CSS and scripts on all the pages of the site. And there's something to be said about browser caching or whatever. But I kind of prefer to not load like all the WooCommerce stuff on the homepage where it's not being used in any way. So that was a little logic there. I should probably prepared for this question a little bit better, but that logic is there, and that was part of your question. Uh, As far as it like your all the WooCommerce stuff seems to be loading in the head for you. I gotta believe that's a setting somewhere or something that you can affect, uh, like hook wise. Because I definitely have all my scripts load in the footer, because that's where scripts should be loading anyway. So it's surprising that they don't load there anyway. But I think there's probably a checkbox or a hook that you can.
1: So there's like a like wp dq script or so like wordpress dq the script from from going in and then do you maybe manually enqueue things is that kind
0: of the Yeah totally uh, but you just got to make sure that you do kind of all of them if you do it that way cuz it's a little bit of dangerous territory for just telling a script to to dq but i i mean i can find it right here there's a there's a let's see add action wp enqueue scripts uh, I remove it, and if function exists, is WooCommerce, which is the thing where it's like, is this a WooCommerce page or not? And then if it's not WooCommerce, or it's not the cart page, or it's not the check page, then I dequeue everything. So that, it's it, that I think, is the safer way to do it. It's not to dequeue it all the time and then enqueue it with your own logic. It's to it's to test the page and then dequeue it if, it if you know for sure it's not a WooCommerce page. Maybe I'll take this and make it a little gist and put it on the... Things people can look at. It. I'm sure I grabbed it from somewhere else. It's not like I I hand wrote this. I just was like I probably Googled something like DQ WooCommerce, if not a shop page or something, and, and landed on something and maybe lightly altered it. But uh, the loading in the foot thing is is fairly important. And then I use this other plugin called like <sighs> the shoot. You know we've talked about it on the show before, and I gave a big thing about it because I think it's like the coolest plugin for performance ever. Uh, the MinQ it's called, which takes, you can just give it like IDs of things that do get in queued, and it smashes them all together. So if you're using like five plugins and you don't want to dequeue everything and then, and then like smash them together yourself in a build process, because that seems like a bunch of work, you don't have to do that. You just let the plugins do whatever they want. And MinQ does the job of smashing all the scripts and styles together. So that's, like, an awesome plugin, and I do that with WooCommerce as well, I think, so it doesn't uh, load all these uh, individual scripts together, of which there are literally, like, 15. So be aware of that. There's, like, mm-hmm. different scripts for the cart and the checkout and the and the and the, and the pretty photo slider and jQuery UI. and Anyway, so th- that's a lot, but there are ways to kind of tame it and get it to do what you want and have it be completely safe to update the plugin, and that's where you kind of want to be. In WordPress land,
1: well, cool. All right, thanks, Serena, for uh, writing in. Chris, yeah,
0: Brent K writes in. So AMP pages—that's the what is it? Accelerated Mobile Pages. Yep, it's a it's a it's an open source project. Google is it always gets attributed to Google because I think they put a lot of effort and development behind it, but it's not a Google project. I don't think. I think it's just it's owned by the open source community more so, and other people have contributed to it other than Google. Uh, That's AMP.
1: I think it's championed by Google. It's their idea
0: other people are hopping on, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Google decided seemingly overnight to make this a thing. What are your feelings about AMP pages? Web performance, especially for mobile, is a known problem, but is Google hamstringing the web by banishing client-side JavaScript from AMP, or is is it a rational response to the website obesity crisis? and publishers being unable to effectively discipline themselves to make sites that respect mobile users and devices. Do you think AMP pages will have staying power, i.e., will they stick around long enough to be worth learning, or will some other less draconian solution that more closely resembles the web with JavaScript prevail? Uh, So, that's a big question. There was just a, a guest post on CSS tricks about AMP and it took an existing page and it went through what it's what it's like line by line kind of to convert a page from regular old HTML to AMP. And what it didn't face is 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 like oh there's a bunch of there's like a slider on this page or something. How are we going to deal with that? Well, the answer is you can't cuz it AMP pages they do allow a little bit of third-party JavaScript like Google Analytics and I think there's a handful of other like known scripts that it allows for some reason but not just like load up jQuery get some click action going that's just straight up forbidden uh, in AMP land and a lot of people are like well what the hell you know like this is this is useless because I can't do that and some people are like well the 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 gains from this are crazy high look at the data there's lots of, of people agreeing with this and big publishers on board publishing it. I think wordpress.com said, "Hey, we just converted our everything to amp." So if you visit on mobile or whatever, you get an amp version of this page and that's that. It has traction.
1: Mhm. But so here's my can I, can we
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh here we go. But John, I I'm not on board. I I feel like Google dangled this carrot of of well you could be in this little carousel thing we have you know, if and you'll be higher in the search results if you do this. And so, every, all the publishers who are hungry for uh, hits are just like, "Oh yeah, of course, Google, we'll do whatever you want. Google, we'll build, we'll, we'll like literally spend our time building the feature for you."
0: In a sense, it means no ads, doesn't it? Really, in, like incentivize content marketing because there's, you know, that's just like a blog post.
1: Well, there's like supported ad things. There's like AMP ad oh. or something, AMP if. Frame. But but that's like a very like certain publishers, you, like your ad publisher has to hook into it. I don't think buy sell ads fits into it or something, which is what I use. So, uh, you, I you know it, uh, it it just it's. I feel like if they would have called it like RSS with style sheets, I would be like so on board. But the fact that it's like this very like like you can only code with pre-approved components and then we we disabled we basically removed all javascript so therefore the web is fast and and it's like well of course it is like i don't know (laughs) like that just it doesn't make sense i i just i'm Hmm. just kind of i don't know i tim Cadleck wrote a post about like like CPP content performance policies, sort of like CSP content security policies, but you basically like say like my site does these things correctly, or or don't even like I don't have carousels on my site, so so don't even try to load them or something. You know, I don't know how it, but but it's I, I
0: get that though, like like some like here's here's things that you could not load if you choose not to browser because you're optimizing for performance or whatever,
1: right. Maybe so, you
0: can make better choices than I can make.
1: Right. Yeah. Like, like just, I don't know, just disable set timeout or something. Cause I don't, I'm not using it or, you know, I, yeah. it could, it could, the browser could, or, or I'm not doing scroll jacking or anything. So just take off on scroll or, or take off, you know, unbind anything. Don't let anything bind to that or something. Um,
0: I, what about the gains though I mean are you i mean there it looks like data wise there is gains, but you're saying the gains largely just come from how draconian as Brent put it is
1: yeah, I mean, I think it i I perceive it as very authoritarian. I feel like Google has said like, well, if you wanna be in the the carousel, which no one everyone knows no one's gonna scroll past the carousel like these are the top like five search results and they like load instantly, which is cool. That's, it's a cool thing, but it's like, it's like, they're just saying like, if you want to be in this carousel, you gotta do this thing. We say we're, you're going to do or else, sorry, no hits. You know, I, that's just, I don't know. That's an abuse. It seems like an abuse of power to me. Um, I, I, you know, fast for fast sake, I think is good um but i just i don't see the point in in a one single company flexing their their muscles you know
0: i have a feeling like the fact you know it seems like such a big deal that wordpress.com said they were doing it or have done it but i feel like the way that they can do it is at such such like an abstracted layer that if something else come along and be like, oh, we're not doing that anymore, we're doing this instead, because it's just like a transformative abstraction that's probably really easy to turn on and turn off as necessary. Is anybody mentioning the... So you really alter the HTML, too. Like, there's no more image tags. You do amp-image, which the browser has no idea what that is. It will render as nothing in a browser... Uh, unless JavaScript gets its hands on it and transforms it into an image tag using AMP's fancy stuff. So this is not, seems like it absolutely doesn't fall into the bucket of progressive enhancement. JavaScript is off in the browser or is slow or their CDN is down or whatever, because they suggest not hosting your own copy of whatever AMP does. There's like one library that you load right at the top of the page that like halts the rendering grabs all your HTML and, like, does stuff with it. It's kind of like how Mobify used to do their thing. You know, they relied on browser blocking to, to do this. They grab it. They grab your AMP image and f- finagle it to be whatever is appropriate at the exact moment and rewrite it as an image tag on the page. That is 100% relying on JavaScript. It seems like I don't hear people talking about that so much.
1: Well, and, in, in, like, in, there's, like... In kind of proprietary stuff in there, there's like an amp YouTube element, you know, and, and you know, is there an amp Twitch element, which is a total competitor to YouTube? Is there an amp, I don't know, some porno site element, <laughs> you know, like is is there? Yeah, like, is it an
0: open standard or is it is it locked down by the the powers that be in a sense?
1: And I, the, I just, I don't know. I'm not like I, I, I want to be. I'm I'm pro-web, but this just seems so heavy-handed to, uh, you know, and, and it's like, and they've said, like, this is just for content, you know, articles, so everyone chill out. But it's like, well, if you're going to do this for, like, articles, what else would you do it for? E-commerce, would you do it for, you know, so in the future, do we just make whatever Google tells us? Is this the future of web design <laughs> and development?
0: I'm also curious about like what if you do a bad job with an AMP page? Can you like load that AMP script at the top of like a nasty page and and you get you get like amplification for free? Does it strip out your tags and stuff? Do you just did you like that? Seems like a kind of a cool possibility for this thing too. Is just be like put the script on the top of your page and we'll do the cleaning up of your garbage for you.
1: What do I do with the static site generator that I write in Markdown and maybe I have like custom you know svg features for art directed things does amp solve this for me i don't i don't think it does does or like can i just convert a string of markdown is there an amp markdown thing i don't know it's, there is an
0: alternative i mean the, the the alternative of you not using amp but making all kinds of really good developer decisions that will always be okay i think
1: i, I think that's think. okay but like what it's just no javascript is the only solution for a content site it seems heavy-handed. Am I crazy?
0: No, but if you're going your own route, that's not enforced on you anymore. Right. You can just do a really responsible job with JavaScript. The danger being, our people are like, "Well, I, I'm killing it. I am the master of performance, and I'm not getting. I'm not getting a like a search boosting signal because I'm not using AMP. That's what I think people would rally about as being that like like I care about performance I really do and I'm being penalized for it even though I'm killing it just as good as an amp site would be that would be bad
1: I think that's the current situation is they own they can't identify. you are
0: though you know like that's an argument but you're not like the web as a whole is not killing it with performance the no, web as a whole not. is doing awful
1: the Web the web is awful. We build awful websites, but I don't think that's really our choice. I, I think it's awful people higher up making awful decisions or something. But it, you know, it, it's the I, I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan.
0: This web is in dire state.
1: I do declare. Uh, I will never have a company from San Francisco tell me
0: how to make a web page. I do declare. That was specifically requested by Brent. All right. Ben Robinson writes in, I was hired as a front-end dev, but based on the amount of PHP I'm writing these days, I'm starting to feel like a back-end dev. What's the line between front-end and back-end? I don't know. That's a big topic. Maybe we could just... uh,
1: Could we reread this question in the voice of Jerry Seinfeld?
0: (laughs) What's the deal? I was hired as a
1: front-end
0: (laughs) dev, but I'm writing PHP. I mean does it matter Ben like do you care do you would, would, you, would your would your paycheck change if if you were a, a back end dev instead of a front end dev it sounds like maybe that's what you're concerned about cuz like i mean do you care about your job title very few people i know do uh you know i mean if you do that's fine I mean, some people have legit reasons for it like i'm looking for a new job sooner and i want my job title to reflect what i actually do because when i go to the next job i want that but uh, most people don't care so much so like I feel like we draw a lot of lines in the sand that don't need to be there. You know, the one that in recent memory is the web app versus, you know, website kind of thing. Like everybody, everybody wants to fight about it. Everybody has an opinion about, oh, I can define what a web app is. Web apps have buttons on them. What about you know?
1: product design versus user interface? UI
0: versus design. UX. You see, there's a really good Twitter <laughs> bot that does that. Yeah, so bad. You know, there's so many things to fight about. Like, why does this line matter? I I feel like the the
1: like secret to being a great front end dev is having some back end chops because because you know being a front end dev definitely means you're doing templating you know whether that's in mustache or twig or PHP even. So now you have to do some templating. But it, in order to get your template to work, you might have to format some of the data, right? So now you're kind of getting upstream into the controller to kind of format some of the data, uh, and and then you know maybe you the controller doesn't have the isn't getting the data you need. So now you got to go to the model and you got to kind of massage the model to give you like pull data out of the database that you kind of need. Oh, there's no data coming from the, the, the field isn't in the database. Well, you gotta write an input field to get that field into the database. I I feel like, like
0: having, you know, it's came up a lot in this, um, it was in that it was in that panel, and we posted it here on Chop Talk Show, the Alista Part panel on front end development. This thing came up over and over, like all, it was like awareness, and it was like what made a really good front end developer was having some network awareness and some performance awareness and back end awareness and stuff. And this concept of awareness works for a back end developer too. A back end developer would would do well to have some front end awareness and pre processor awareness and build stack awareness. And a front end developer benefits from a designer. Benefits from having some HTML awareness and stuff doesn't mean you have to master, but awareness is a good word for it. I think that's what you're getting at, right? That the more you know, the more kind of useful you are in your specialty. Even
1: yeah, I feel like you can accomplish the goals of a front-end developer kind of by yourself, which is ideal. You know, you don't have to wait around two weeks for a back-end dev to, you know, write some method for you. You know that returns mm-hmm. JSON. right you know i I think more you're not helpless. you can do that yourself yeah and maybe you're the ideal is that you are pairing with somebody but yeah and but yeah you do you need to know like how tcp ip packets send (laughs) or should you be writing like raw sql i don't think so you know but um so yeah i think the line is tough i i I mean I feel it is a slippery slope to the to the back end work, you know, but um but you know, if, if you're like doing strictly PHP, like you're just building out Laravel sites or something over and over and over, maybe I don't know, maybe bring it up, just say like, "Hey, I'm more more on the templates and CSS side of things." So. Uh, does that sound right? I don't know.
0: It sounds wonderful. Speaking of some back end awareness stuff, maybe you should be uh, maybe you should be like aware of how payments operate on your site, or maybe you need payments on your site. Yeah. I would highly recommend Braintree, and the URL we want to send you to is braintreepayments.com slash shop talk. That'll get you where you need to go. Simple, secure payments code you can integrate in minutes. Developers, we got you. Don't worry about taking days to integrate with payments. With Braintree, it's done in minutes. It's a single API for all kinds of stuff. And in their their SDK is in .NET, Node.js, Java, Perl, PHP, Python, and Ruby, covering just about the entire web, I'd say. Uh, for backend, you can write in all kinds of languages and take take payments. What kind of payments? Well, credit cards, of course, but uh, PayPal as well. Even just that. Imagine taking PayPal, uh, credit cards and PayPal with one API. That's great. And then you're like, you know what? It'd be kind of rad to offer Bitcoin as well. We have an audience that would, would like that. Fine. Great. Venmo, Apple Pay, Android Pay. It all happens with one integration. Pretty rad. Don't have time? Give them a call. They'll handle the integration for you literally walk you through it 10 lines of code sometimes it takes of in-app code to get started taking payments again that is braintreepayments.com slash shop talk maybe we could just do one more and wrap it up what do you think?
1: here we go josh uh Netterveld writes in uh do you think tacking on additional items to the wordpress post object is a good idea or bad idea uh, for example Given a post type of books, uh, you have a custom meta field named author. Uh, you need to display the author on both the archive books and the single books. PHP. Uh, you can use the principles of dry, don't repeat yourself, by filtering the meta value on the post object during the post the underscore post filter. Or save via WP underscore insert underscore post. It's all action.
0: pretty, pretty like specific to WordPress stuff. Yeah
1: would you would you do it this way or would you prefer a different method? Uh, so yeah, like, what do you do? What's the best way to kind of like grab post data? Should it be like a separate object or should it be
0: like a, I don't know a, the, how many options you actually have. Like, it's pretty much you're using post-meta to add things, which I would never shy away from. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems to me, like, (laughs) I wish... If I could go back in time on CSS Tricks, I would use all custom fields for everything, or to be more specific, advanced custom fields with the fancy UI around it, because I use the heck out of just custom fields, which is post-meta. So in the WordPress thing, and this is similar, I'm sure, in lots of CMSs, is that you have this opportunity to kind of attach, attach arbitrary data to to a post object or a post is is kind of a moniker for any chunk of content it could be anything and i think a lot of cmss force you to do this they say we're not going to make any assumptions at all about what unit of data is stored in this, you know, you can have a house object, and a house will have a kind of windows and a kind of door and a kind of sidewalk or something. And you have to, those are three bits of data that get attached to this type of, of, of you know, parent data. Uh, and that's, and it is what it is. And you can query however you want to for it. In WordPress, you, you know, with the example of a post is, you know, is like a house in this scenario, you automatically get like a title and an excerpt and a, you know, kind of description field area. Some of the stuff comes along for the ride. And Josh is like, how do you add additional items to it? Well, for free, you get custom fields. And custom fields are absolutely arbitrary key value pairs that you attach onto things. But they has, like, no UI at all behind it. So advanced custom fields comes along and says, well, we're basically just custom fields, but we're going to give you really nice UI for it. So it's, it's like, I know it's just an arbitrarily key value pair, but you can add a date picker to a field now and you can give it a name and you can give it some information and it comes out with a really nice UI. So now you can attach a date to a post that's like the sale date for this house or something. And that's just post meta I think mm-hmm. that's what he's talking about here. So, so you need to display that post-meta. How do you do it in different templates? Well, you just, I don't know, you access it and output it.
1: It's like post-meta, parenthesis, whatever the key was.
0: And sure, and, and if you're using advanced custom fields, they have their own even cleaner API to output like that data. It's the underscore field or something. It's, I think Josh is getting at something a little bit more complicated here, though, that I don't totally understand.
1: Well, I think it's like, do you do you want it like if you're doing JSON or something like post dot author, you know, like, like, should you join those kind of together? Or should it just be like, I have a list of authors, too, or something? I I, I don't, I would say roll it into one post object. It belongs with the post. But you also don't want to just, I don't know. You want to you want that data dynamic. Like if the author changes his his or her name, you you want them that
0: name to update. There's something as about well. filtering here too, and about like, do you want to query for all posts and then like remove the ones that don't match your custom field, or do you run the query on the custom field and only get back exactly what you needed to begin with?
1: Oh, so I'm if not you're not sure. trying to get like posts by author or something. Uh, I could see. I see what's going on there. Uh, I don't know. I I do it like the 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 way where you just store an ID like author ID or something. Um,
0: author is definitely going to come for the ride in in WordPress. WordPress. Okay, um, but then maybe you have a maybe it's different. Maybe it's you know the author in WordPress is the author of the post, but maybe you're talking. You're, you're yeah. He's saying I have a post type of book, so Maya Angelou is the author here, not. Chris Coyer, you know. Oh yeah. And you need to display that value on different types of templates.
1: Yeah. So I would have a whole other custom post type called authors, you know, like book authors and then have like and then link up
0: the IDs kind of. That is a little bit more complicated. I didn't think of that necessarily. So you you could type just the string Maya Angelou into the author thing, but that's not very Interesting, programmatically that doesn't like exist as an entity. Then,
1: yeah, it doesn't or? exist. I, I mean, you can like have WordPress like spit out a select box or something to, <laughs> you know, to choose that. But I, it's more, it's more like like authors are kind of like a tag for the book or something. That's
0: there's definitely like a taxonomy that you can get going here. You know, yeah, like, doesn't can it be a, like a category like or tag like then? So then it is kind of a programmatic construct.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I think I think you could like a
0: custom taxonomy. Um, yeah, that might be the route for you, Josh. You're looking to custom taxonomy. I was
1: also going to say, I saw a post recently, last week, I think it was uh, on WordPress for the fields API. It sounds like like WordPress is trying to bring in that advanced custom fields technology into like I WordPress core. It, I so. Um, And then it's also available via the REST API and stuff too. So they kind of posted a roadmap and stuff like that if you want to kind of read up on how that's going over on make.wordpress. Yeah, so. Well, hopefully we helped you out, Josh, and hopefully your server doesn't fall over from database queries. (laughs) Chris, this has been a pretty good episode, but we should wrap it up. We should. Uh, I was going to mention real quick uh, two links in regards to that 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 uh, Fabicon discussion. There's a website called manifoldjs.com that helps generate your manifests. All right. Think about that for just a bit. But but it's like a NPM module that will generate a manifest.json uh, that will help you do like apps and progressive web apps and stuff. And then I was going to recommend if you're on a Mac, I'm not anymore. So I'm, this app is sorely missed, but, uh, icon slate in the app store by Jeremy Marchand. Uh, this is the best, uh, it like, if you want to just get sad and drunk about, (laughs) about how many different sizes of icons and stuff, uh, this is the best app for that. It's only five bucks, but, uh, it's worth it because it, it just, it'll, you drop in one 512 by 512 and it'll generate all the other sizes. So it, it's, it's a quick and dirty, uh, get or done thing. So I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes and, uh, yeah. So thank you for downloading this episode in your podcaster choice, Star Heart, favorite it, uh, send it to your friends over on the Twitter sphere. We'd really appreciate that. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets every month. And, uh, you can find, we announce, you know, what shows coming up, who's in, the next guest when the live shows are you should you should check it out and uh yeah and then if you hate your job head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get Good a brand bad. new job uh and chris you got anything else you'd like to say
0: just that shoptalkshow.com